Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Mining Media, a short episode I'm going to do every month, which is kind of like a book club that turns your binging into better gameplay experiences. So we are all guilty of occasionally just getting really into a TV show or video game or book series where you just kind of really can't get enough of that type of game, whether it be the world, the actions you can do, the types of characters that are in it, any of the above. And what I like to do is, and I'm sure many of you who are listening to this do similar, because if you're listening to me, you probably very much like role-playing games. You're always thinking about, oh, that's really cool. How could I translate that to something at the table? We did have an episode about this on the DMs After Dark feed in one of our old Modified Roles episodes, but I'm taking it and I'm going to do it a little different, where every month I'm going to talk about a piece of media that I am enjoying and I want to talk about how I think about it and what about it can be used at the game table. And the very first episode is going to be about a book series by John Gwynn called The Faithful and the Fallen. It is a series comprised of four books that is very Celtic and maybe a little Norse inspired as far as mythology goes, and it feels sort of pretty medieval. You have steel and feudal systems with kings, and to me, I've been recommending it to everyone to kind of scratch that Game of Thrones itch because a lot of people obviously this is old news at this point, but the show left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, and the fact that the books are probably never going to be done kind of sucks. Now, there's obviously a ton of great fantasy out there, and Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire is obviously grimdark. I feel like The Faithful and the Fallen has enough of a grimdark feel, but doesn't really go down and deal with some of the really uncomfortable stuff that A Song of Ice and Fire delves into regularly. There's still plenty of death and violence and giant battles and betrayals and terrible stuff, but it, to me, really scratched that itch. And I loved the setting of the Banished Lands. I think it's really great. There are giants that have been around for centuries, and there are a bunch of separate kingdoms on this single continent, so there's always tension and political conflict going on. And the backdrop of the entire series, this is no spoilers, is that there's basically a chosen one trope that initiates something known as the God War. So it becomes really big pretty quickly. So my plan for Mining Media episodes is to answer a few questions about the subject matter that I'm talking about. I think one of the first big things I want to discuss when I'm talking about a piece of media, whether it's a book series or a TV series or a movie or a video game, is to say, well, what games do I think could do this well at a table? And I thought The Faithful and the Fallen was a really great starting point for mining media, not only because I'm reading it right now and finishing the fourth book, basically as I'm recording this, but I think that... It has a very classic fantasy feel. You can definitely play a character with a big sword or an archer or a rogue or a barbarian. Like there's definitely characters with those analogs in that series. So I'm not going to say D&D 5e, although, you know, according to people on the internet, it can do anything. I'm here to tell you about lesser known RPGs that you might have a really good time playing. And in honor of the first series I'm playing on the network, I would say that original Ironsworn could probably hit this 
feeling pretty well. There is multiple instances and a big cultural importance in the Faithful and the Fallen series about swearing oaths to protect people or swearing oaths to do something, see something through, and that is effectively swearing an iron vow. And there are these seven treasures that were forged from Starstone. So like you have this really great jumping point for something like an Iron Sworn campaign. I also think the Burning Wheel could do this very well because the Burning Wheel is fantasy, but it's specifically very low fantasy. There is sorcery, there is some sort of magic in the Faithful and the Fallen, but it's very vague. It's very not incredibly powerful like in a power fantasy game like Pathfinder or D&D. So I think that something more scaled back and that appropriately limits the player's ability to do magic like the Burning Wheel. It would take some tweaking because in the Burning Wheel, I think only humans can do magic unless it's like specific elven song or anything like that. But I think that the feeling of Burning Wheel, where you have these beliefs, you have these instincts, you are definitely going to be a person who is attempting to achieve your goals over the course of a campaign. It works really well in something like The Faithful and the Fallen. The only other two I could think of that might be able to do it would be Forbidden Lands from Free League, because that game takes place in a setting that feels very new. There were very isolated civilizations and societies during the Blood Mists, and now that the world has opened back up again, you can freely travel, but you're going to run into these other factions. And I think that you could tweak that a little bit and just basically make it where other places of society are just basically other kingdoms because the banished lands of the faithful and the fallen seem to have a pretty high density of kingdoms and they're always kind of warring with one another or trying to make alliances or what have you and lastly if you want to try pbta maybe the sword the crown the unspeakable power the unspeakable power is a little more powerful in that game but i think that it could work for like giant magic in the faithful and the fallen now, what about the series, The Faithful and the Fallen, is gamifiable? And we're not talking about for a specific game at the table. We're talking about what in this series is something you could pull out and say, this is great to use in my campaign as an idea, as a seed, as a faction, as anything. And I think that there's quite a bit, really. I mean, like it plays out like a heroic fantasy with some grim stuff in it. As we said before, there are the seven treasures made of Starstone. I mean, those are just perfect MacGuffins. It is like you can literally goalpost availability, difficulty to get, what do they do, how does it matter, in whose hands are they? Like it, it works really well as a plot device to have these mystical items that are out there. The party needs to get at least one of them but they find out about the others and who has the others and what are they using them for. It's just, you could build an entire campaign just around that. I think that in this series, as well as things like A Song of Ice and Fire, you get a lot of characters who join a group of people. You know, they become a war band or they become sworn to protect one person or what have you. But then because of circumstance, they have to go travel with someone else for a while or they get split off from the main group. And now all of a sudden they have to survive in a new area or they're captured and taken prisoner. 
And this is something that if you look up on the internet is called like a West Marches style campaign, where basically in D&D groups back in the day, somebody came up with this West Marches style and he said, make characters. And if you're available to play at this time, whatever. And then basically you can have a, a huge group of people, but you say we're playing at this time and I'm taking five people and we're going to play. And so that way you can kind of mix and match who's playing where in the world and doing what with what other PCs. And you can kind of have some really interesting mixing of storylines and allow it to have a PC bring in a plot line to another group of people. And all of a sudden they're invested in another part of the story and everyone's involved in every plot line without being the only people who can handle it, you know? Like we said before, they swear oaths to people. You know, they'll swear an oath to protect a king, or they'll swear an oath to protect somebody when they flee together to escape being imprisoned or what have you. And they become shield men for people. That is very iron sworn. And, you know, I would say swearing an iron vow is a really great mechanic to take from that game and put into another fantasy game you're running. Have that promise mean something and give it mechanical weight or have it require certain things to happen and then make it pay off with more than just like a magical item or something like that right like make that social promise mean something and make it weigh on the character as they attempt to achieve that now, I'm not going to get into any spoilers because I recommend everybody listening to this. Please go listen to The Faithful and the Fallen. I want to talk about it. I haven't met many people who've read it, and everybody who I have seen who's read it seems to like it a lot. It's a little slow at the beginning, but it does a great job of being familiar, but also really keeping you on the edge of your seat, I think. And when you're least expecting it, things happen. <laughs> so there is a chosen one or, you know, a side of light versus a side of evil. You know, there are these two gods going to war in the god war. It's all been prophesied and things are starting to come together and you have the side of good versus the side of evil. But like I said, Faithful in the Fallen kind of straddles that grimdark heroic fantasy line where you can see why people are doing what they're doing, even if you start putting together, this person seems like they're on the side of evil though. And all of a sudden, the black and white is not so black and white. So, again, that's something to consider for your games, right? There are games, if you play old school D&D, alignment means something. Not a lot of tables in today's game and community use alignment that strongly. And I love the idea of framing it as very important, but all of a sudden, kind of pulling back the curtain and being like, nobody's entirely right or entirely good your idea of doing good might be hurting someone else and you might not realize it and therefore you can't call yourself just purely good another thing i love about the faithful and the fallen is you get a lot of fantasy stories you know almost every series has its here's their magical race kind of interesting thing right so you have your children of the forest or your coloss from mistborn or your i mean i could go on and on about tons of 
magical creatures, you have your Ogiers. I think that's how it's pronounced from Wheel of Time. But in The Faithful and the Fallen, because it takes such like a Celtic Norse mythology inspiration, you really only have a few and they're interesting and less like gamifiable as far as like playable race kind of things. But I think that you could do one really well. And that is the giants of The Faithful and the Fallen. They themselves are split into different clans and they all have very different cultures and see things very differently. So like there are humans that have kingdoms that are warring. There are giants that have been warring for as long as anyone can remember. It's just really cool. They're not like 20 foot tall giants, right? But they're like nine and a half, 10 feet tall or maybe bigger. I'm not sure. I think that that felt right when I was reading it. But they they ride bears or they, you know, do different things. And they're just massive, muscular creatures. And then you have the side of good and the side of evil. They have their servants. You could bring something like that into your game where there are sort of otherworldly beings otherwise hidden in plain view in flesh and blood among us. And they are like servants of a greater destiny of a war or of a prophecy. And another thing I like about this book series that I think is worth considering for your game tables is the sense of scope. I think one of the biggest things everyone talks about fantasy and they're like, oh, Lord of the Rings is a classic. But Lord of the Rings is hard to translate to a role-playing game table. There have been multiple Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth RPGs, most recently The One Ring from Free League, which I think does a good job. But one of the things that Lord of the Rings, you have to think about, is the sense of scale. It takes years for these characters to make this journey. They are longer livid beings. And even in The Faithful and the Fallen, I mean, you get years in between certain portions of the book where, you know, the main character was having his long night, which I think was when he was like 15. And then by the end of it, it's 18. And I think a lot of the time when we're playing RPG campaigns, sometimes maybe there's a time restriction for how quickly you need to achieve something. But I also think there's a lot to be said about giving a campaign, giving characters the time to explore their real journey, their real arc, and letting it breathe. In the first Perspective Checks episode I did with Troy, we talked about how it's easy to hand wave and montage travel just to get to the action quicker. But we talked about how it's important to every once in a while have a scene that's just slice of life and just nice check in with what your character does when they're not fighting for their life every second because that fleshes out a character and if you give a character time this is another thing i think burning wheel does well for playing something like in the banished lands with the faithful and the fallen is there are times where you're just going to take downtime and say i wanted to become a smith so i took a year and i worked and during that year sure i fought off multiple incursions by some force or what have you and I learned to use a hammer 
as opposed to just sword and shield. And now I have a slightly different fighting style. And you can hand wave that, but you can also have scenes. You could flash back to any time in that part of a person's life. And then during that year, what did the rest of the party get up to? If you're playing it like the West Marches, right, where another group or that's just one character who unfortunately got left behind because of circumstance. Cool. We can like talk about what you got up to and like you come back when you say you come back unless your friends here mount a rescue mission they're going to continue on with the quest and they're playing you know week to week month to month but if you want to just say I made a home here do that that's so cool and lastly I think something to take from it and something that I am personally guilty of at least in the past and something that I think a lot of early DMs, GMs, and world-building people fall into is, I just said, the sense of scale and the sense of scope. Like, let it breathe, let it feel big, let it feel long, let it feel like it built up to something and that payoff is worth it. But don't make the world too big to feel like you're doing anything or that it's going to take forever to get somewhere. One of the cool things about the map of the Faithful and the Fallen is it's a continent, but there are many kingdoms within it, and not just human kingdoms. There are also giant realms. There are also pirate islands that are constantly being a pain in certain portions of the world. There's always conflict. If you go to any one place, it will have, oh, well, we're dealing with these people over here, and we're trying to make an alliance with these people over here. I'm trying to marry my kid off to these people over here so we have more swords because summer's coming and the pirates are going to come. Everything is close enough that there's never a dull moment. Great advice from a lot of PBTA games is to use fronts for like any location or campaign or anything like that. Think about what are they dealing with? While they're dealing with that, what is building in the background? And it's going to be a problem if they don't address that while they're dealing with the main problem. And then what's boiling, kind of slowly simmering in the back, right? Like, always have two or three problems that can present themselves in any given location. Because as soon as you solve one problem, there's a vacuum and something's ready to go. So plant the seeds of those problems ahead of time. You know, there are giants in the forest, but there's also one of the king's aides feels like he's been slighted, and now he is plotting in the background and working with another monarch in another one of the kingdoms. What are they working on? You know, is it betrayal? Is it just he just feels like he's due something, so he might leave, and then there's a vacuum in the power system? What about love triangles? Even if it's not between PCs, there's just a lot you can do. Always keep conflict close by. <laughs> All right, I think that's about it. I'm aiming for somewhere in the 15 to 25 minute zone for these episodes. I think that that's succinct enough to hopefully make you go, that does sound pretty good, and consider looking into a certain piece of media yourself and allows me to ramble a little bit about ideas to use in your games. So maybe you go, that's a good idea. I could use that in my game. And I have no shortage of books on my to be read. But if you have a book series, TV series, movie, video game, any kind of media you can think of 
that you think would make a good topic to cover in a mining media episode, reach out to me. I am all ears. I will take a look at it and no promises it's going to happen soon, but I love hearing what people are reading or binging at the moment because there's so many good stories out there. I just want to help you realize that by watching them, you can also think about how to tell better ones at the table. Follow me on social media, like, rate, review this podcast if you feel like being so kind. Email me at rainyplaysgamespod at gmail.com and keep on mining your media.